Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 88, The Big House Craft Project, recorded on March 12, 2019. My name is Julie Faithan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Shoebalzer. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm good. You've been the one that's been racing around under pressure. Why don't we talk about that? We can start with uh that you were out of town yeah i went to hsn and uh scan and cut had its very first ts which stands for today's special and hsn is home shopping network if you don't know what that is and i can honestly say i think is this about this is about a week out from having gone and i am not 100 percent sure that i'm actually recovered <laughs> from it just I mean like physically speaking it is a daunting gauntlet and I have to give I mean I probably only go to HSN like six times a year so I have to give the people credit who are there like day in and day out because it is unbelievably just physically exhausting to do so the way that today's special work works is that you are like the anchor uh, product for the day and so that means for 24 hours you're on camera now you're not on for the full 24 hours and yet at the same time you are meaning like they're not actually watching 24 hours of you but like you might have an airing at midnight at 4 a.m at 6 a.m at 9 a.m at 11 a.m at 12 p.m and so on and so forth through the day and not only that but of course because you're setting up and you have to go into makeup and blah 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 it is a lot more hours than obviously what is seen on screen and so it is, like I said, it's a it's a physically demanding thing because essentially you're up for almost 36 to 48 hours, I would say. And it's time in which you have to be like peppy. I will say I knew that I was truly drained when I was lying on the couch sort of watching the screen in the backstage in the green room. And I suddenly realized that time had passed and I hadn't been aware, which is another way of saying I fell asleep. Um, but it was one of those feelings where like I knew I had been awake and then all of a sudden I knew I was still awake and so I had somehow missed a period of time because my body had just decided to shut down. And I was like, that is a level of exhaustion that's, you know, you know, that's serious. I guess the best that I would say now lots of it is also like fun and crazy and all that kind of stuff but it's definitely takes a while to recover from hope you don't drive when you're in that state no so the, so the good news is the salespeople are very nice and they do the driving but i mean they're also tired too i mean they're not on camera but they also are you know working and setting things up and staying up these crazy hours and all that kind of stuff and you know at a certain point I'm, you know, oh, give me carrot sticks and I'll drink water. And then I'm like, Diet Coke and M&Ms, please. Because it's just like your body is like, please be nice to me. And so my version of that is to feed it the most unhealthy things that I can find, which is probably the wrong choice, but it feels good in the moment. Well, whatever gets you through, <laughs> right? It's true. It's true. But I will say, like, the thing I think I enjoy the most about the whole process is, and this is the reason why I think I'm a good representative for the scan and cut, is because I do really enjoy 
the ScanaCut, and I do really think it's a fantastic tool. And so when we're putting together the demos, there's this super fun puzzle which is the scanning cut does 11 billion things and I have 18 minutes. How do I show the 11 billion things it does to people? And you have to believe that there are people out there who are of various levels. There are people who have never seen a scanning cut and can't even understand what it is. There are people who are very familiar, who have done their you know research or who are customers, maybe even of a previous model or the current model. So it, it's like an interesting thing about how do you both like teach people, get them interested, get them excited and explain what it does because it's it's not like, you know, sometimes at HSN they're selling a paper kit and it's like, okay, you use this paper kit and you make these things and here it is and it's all these papers. Trying to explain to somebody what an electronic cutter with a scanner inside that writes and draws and embosses and does rhinestones and, you know, does all these other things, it's like it's very hard in 18 minutes I, to get I that idea that. across. Although yeah. I think now the initial barrier to these an electronic scanner cutter has been passed. That is to say, when you first were doing it and it was brand new, people couldn't get their heads around what it could do. And they were sort of thinking, oh, this is too technological for me. I'm not a computer geek. I won't be able to do it. And I think a lot of people have moved past that now. I think they have. I will say I am always surprised at trade shows and stuff, though, how many people have never heard of it and don't. And, and they keep people often call it a printer. So this prints. And I'm like, nope, it's not a printer. I've even had some hosts on HSN call it a printer. And I've been like, mm, it's not a printer. Um, because I think people, A, the brother name makes a lot of people think of printers, but B, Again, like if you're not familiar with the world of electronic cutting, it's really confusing. And I also think, you know, the scanner is so magical in some ways that you can take it, I can draw something, I can scan it in and it will cut it out that you start to get mad at it for not, you know, sort of levitating and reading your mind. Because there are lots of times that people say, well, I only want this part of the image. And I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's just a dumb scanner inside. Like it doesn't know that you mentally want this part of the image. You ha you have to find a way to tell the scanner that, you know. Sounds like communication between spouses. <laughs> right. Sometimes you think they should be able to read your mind. But they can't. But anyway, what I was going to say, the relevance to the house thing is overlaying everything you've been doing, and it includes when you were in Tampa doing HSN, there's a constant drip, drip, drip of decisions to be made about this house you're renovating. And the word renovating doesn't even really convey what you're doing. You want to talk about it a little? Yeah. So, you know, yesterday, my, uh, this sounds bizarre, but my, we, I was doing my taxes and my accountant, obviously, because she sees the bills, was interested in seeing the house. So uh, we took her by. And, you know, I think the thing that I most remember is just the shock because when you say renovation I think most people think of like oh you're moving some things and maybe there's like a hole in a wall somewhere but this is you know we are building a brand new house inside the shell of an old house right there it, are no walls yeah so, uh, you know in in places there are no floors right. I mean so it's a it's when I say it's a renovation I mean, it is. We tried to preserve as much of the original wood and all that kind of stuff as we could, but we took that all out. It's in a storage unit in my driveway, you know, 
and then it will come back into the house. And I think the effect in the end will be that it's an old house that just looks like it's really well, you know, preserved and has beautiful functioning. But at this middle part, you know, it is like a new construction house, essentially, inside the shell of an old house, which actually makes it more complicated because if it were new construction, we could just do all the things we want to do. But because it's an, an, an existing old house, like we're actually limited in certain ways by what we can do. So it's, a, it's again, like an interesting puzzle. I think that contractors are really good contractors, or may I just say my contractor, um, who is fantastic, I think there are people who enjoy solving problems. And I have often said that I actually think that being an artist is also about solving problems. You know, I think there's some um, affinity or link there where both types of people like to work with their hands, like to express themselves physically, and like the how every day is a little bit different, how every project is a little bit different, and being able to, you know, make something out of nothing. Your guy is really good, I have to say. He is. And I, I will say, like, every time I go past the house, I am sort of delighted and charmed with a solution he's come I mean, I go every single day. Uh, a solution that he's come up with, an idea, a place where I'm struggling and, you know, he's offering some help. And, I, and I've noticed with subcontractors, he's very protective and helpful in terms of, you know, uh, being very clear with them about things and he's deeply knowledgeable and it's all those things that you really want a contractor I feel extremely lucky um because I think that makes a huge difference I I would say in some ways it reminds me of um you know how tons and tons of people say that they never felt they were artists because they're they had a mean art teacher right who at some point told them like you can't draw or whatever or said you'll never be an artist or something terrible like that the same way that I think there are many students who feel that they're not academically inclined because they had a horrible teacher some along where along the way who said you know you're dumb or whatever it is and so I think that um the same thing to me is true in some ways of a contractor in terms of being a teacher which is I'm learning so much about this process from him about how to renovate about how to make choices about how to choose subcontractors about you know what's important and what's not about timing and all that kind of stuff and he uh I don't feel like he ever talks down to me or acts like I'm a moron or tries to trick me or doesn't have time for me or so he's a good actor too. he is he's a very good actor <laughs> um he did accidentally hit me in the head with a tape measure yesterday and I did joke with him I was like is this because I wanted to move the closet um you know, I think that there is something in that about generosity of expertise, generosity of time, generosity of spirit. And in that way, I feel very simpatico with him because I think, you know, what is my blog, which, you know, I give out into the world or my Instagram or any of those things like those are that's me or this podcast, wanting to share my enthusiasm, share my journey, share my ideas, you know, with other people, because I hope that, you know, by finding other people who find it as interesting as I do, that we create kind of a nice um, symbiosis, a nice kind of like, you know, culture of, of art and crafting and all that good stuff. The other thing is he is very uh, appreciative when you want to do something that's going to be physically beautiful in the house. He gets excited, which he does, even, and even though it might be very more labor intensive for him. Yes. yes, yes. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I'm thinking of, uh, in particular, there's this Victorian, so there's a Victorian home, and I wanted this Victorian tile. And when I went to the tile store, the tile sales guy said to me, you can't do this, your contractor will hate you. And it will, you know, you have to find, you have to, it can only be with somebody who, like, already is an expert in this. So, and, and let me just explain what Victorian tile is. So, normally when you look at a when you have a tile that's in a pattern nowadays it comes in a big square and like all of the pieces are sort of put together meaning if it's a triangle and some squares and sort of like a quilt block pattern it has like a net on the back so it's all held together as a single piece so it's very easy for a tiler because they just put down sort of the slab of these tiles even the mosaic tile that you buy now from the from the tile store is like a square that they put down so victorian tiles are done the way that victorians did them which is the tiles are individual pieces so if you wanted to do something that looked like a quilt block that would be you know eight triangles that are red and four squares that are blue and six triangles that are yellow and you know and that would be a four by four tile essentially once you put it all together sort of tetris or uh you know tan what is our, what are those things called tangrams tana you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and so I brought the catalog to the house and I said to my contractor, Rob, I said, Rob, look what I'm not making you do. And he was like, oh, my God, those are beautiful. And he was like, well, what are you going to do with this? And I was like, well, I just wanted to do like a fireplace um, threshold, you know, like the tile extension that's on the floor. And he was like, oh, we could do that. That Those are beautiful, you know. And he's like, that's a small enough space. Like doing a whole entire hall or something like that would be horrible. But he's like, I can do that. And I thought, I loved that, that he was up for the challenge. I and did now say, though, your I did challenge say, is which one, which one pattern you're going to pick. My challenge is picking the pattern, but I also did say, I was like, if your tiler can't lay it out, I was like, if all my crafting is going to come in handy because I can lay this tile out the way the pattern needs to go. I just don't know how to tile. So maybe it'll be a collaborative effort in that way. I can't wait to see what you pick. Well, I'm excited because, I mean, I kept joking that the house was the biggest craft project I was ever going to embark on. And then it felt like because I got a contractor that I somehow wasn't doing the work. And that's that is actually an interesting conversation point, And it dovetails into a conversation about contemporary art. So I have designed the house. And I really mean that, you know, I have friends who are helping to draft the plans and certainly offering suggestions and stuff like that, but I'm not working with an architect in any traditional sense of it. And so I am definitely like, feel like I have decided what every room in that house is going to look like. And I am, am picking color palettes and I am doing all this stuff. And yet I'm not physically doing the work. So the question is, is this different than many contemporary artists now who have big workshops where they conceive of a lot of the art you know and maybe point out some ways in like how they'd like it to do but then the workshop essentially is physically does the work and I would say this is actually not a new idea I recently went on a tour at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston that was about all these Italian Renaissance painters you know and how actually most of their paintings were not painted by the master artist you know these artists who you think 
you know, you know, when you look at the painting, what you're actually looking for is what part of it was painted by the master artist and what part was painted by the workshop. And they've changed a lot of the little cards that are next to the painting so that they no longer say by so-and-so, they say from the workshop of so-and-so to indicate and acknowledge that in fact that work was not actually painted by the so-called master painter. I just think that's really, really interesting. So anyway, so which all of that is to say that while at first I was feeling like I didn't do this project, but now I'm kind of feeling like, of course I did. I designed the whole thing and somebody else is executing, which is wonderful. But like, I am all hands in on it too at the same time. And then, you know, I was worried, like, what are the DIY projects going to be that are going to be left? I mean, and the oh, there's is, always something. Oh, there's going to be house. plenty. <laughs> There's going to be more than enough to keep me busy for years and years to come. So, so much for this renovation solving all of the house's problems. It's just going to be, you know, it's going to be a great house. It's going to take time. And I, and I know that a lot of my creativity is going into the house because one of the issues I'm having is... I, ha I mean, I've done a little bit of my art journal and I've done some like sort of tiny stuff, but I haven't really painted. I haven't really created any large scale artwork since the house, since the demo ended on the house, since we actually started like building towards something, since I started having to make choices about tiles and colors and since I started having to like really get into the nitty gritty of designing where everything goes and that is where my creative energy is going right now. That's probably a good thing. It is. It'll mean that the house really does reflect what's going on artistically with you. I Do you find so. that, uh, so I noticed that you're doing a lot of Googling and I myself, because of your house, have started watching again HGTV, which I used to watch a lot and then I just stopped watching it, but now I'm interested again. Me too. I watch HGTV like a crack addict, you know hitting the pipe like I can't get enough and, and most of the time I'm screaming at the TV about the unrealistic you know they're so upset because they went five thousand dollars over budget and I'm like five thousand dollars over budget <laughs> because we have had so many things you know happen to us at the house from the water main uh burst the um and obviously we have to pay to have that replaced dig up the whole sidewalk outside you know put a new pipe in replace the sidewalk blah 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 blah. well the foundation we discovered was crumbling and the house was you know completely sinking, in, sinking in so we had to repour the foundation but that also meant that the floors in the house had about a four to five inch drop in certain areas depending so like one side of the room would be four to five inches lower than the other side of the room so we're talking about severe sloping so then you know that's been an issue some of which we left and some of which we tried to fix there were some floors that had a wave like you know from the house sort of sinking because it was sinking in that one corner so that was you know crazy we the heating system was totally shot i mean we just there, there have been a lot of things. There were some, there was a leak in the roof. And I, I did say once we got totally down to the studs and the house was just a frame, I was like, how many more problems can there possibly be? Like the house is 
completely naked. There's no way anything else can happen. And then I think the day after that, the water main broke. And I was like, ah, totally forgot. This is the charm of the antique house. (laughs) It is. It is. It's the charm. Um, And that's been a really interesting thing, too, about this house. Because it's a Victorian house and because it's a Queen Anne Victorian, it kind of has been interesting to pick fixtures and items and cabinets for it because the house itself dictates a certain kind of look right if if Uh you like victorian and want to keep with that feeling so you know that has both made it easier because you can go to you know the lighting store and you're like that aisle's out that aisle's out that section's out because you know that you can't use the super uber contemporary stuff unless you're trying to make a statement of some kind but on the other end it's made it more difficult because now you have a smaller group of things to choose from, you know, and it's not always necessarily sort of, and and your price point may not be in line with what is available, which is also endlessly aggravating. Well, and you've had to be clear with yourself that you're not restoring a Victorian house, you're renovating it, but it's, you're not making it historically correct. Right. Like my, we ran into our new neighbors and they have a Victorian house too. In fact, much of the neighborhood we live in is Victorian homes. Um, And they told us that they had an original 1880s or 1890s stove in the house, which is their stove that they cooked on. And I was sort of blown away. And they were like, oh yeah, of course it works. Of course, da, da, da. And I was kind of like, that is so fantastic. I am getting a stainless steel range, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I mean, we also didn't have the original stove in the house, so it wasn't even a conversation to be had. But I think that is like, they definitely restored their house and we're definitely renovating it while let's, keeping the character. Let's talk about a very big decision you made, which was when they took down the wall between the dining room and the kitchen and they were going to put it up again. And there was a lot of thinking about whether to leave it open, whether to open other walls on the first floor, whether to put it back the way it was. Talk about that whole thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that goes back to the restoration versus you know renovation and it also gets back to an art principle about like letting the painting be what it wants to be at some point you have to let go of what you had in your head and accept what is happening now and so when they were doing demo they just took down everything that wasn't structural so they could like get into the bones of the house and one of the things they took down was the wall between the dining room and the kitchen which turned out not to be structural and so the first time I walked into that space, I had sort of a, a metaphysical crisis, <laughs> an emotional, you know, tantrum there because I loved the feeling of the open space, but I felt like it was not within the character of the home to have that big open concept area and I waffled back and forth endlessly about good idea bad idea good idea to put the wall back up leave the wall down put the wall back up leave the wall down and eventually what I came to is I take down the wall between the living room and the dining room take down the wall because then it became like well if we're if we're gonna leave this down why don't we open everything I mean so it became like this all or nothing craziness and I think what I eventually came to with some assistance from many many people because I think I pulled every human on earth um 
what I finally came to was that I needed to look at this space and accept sort of a new idea of what it was going to be, but not then push it in a completely obscene, you know, way, which is to say, so then still leave up the wall between the living room and the dining room. You know, it didn't, everything didn't have to come down just because one thing came down. And I think that's kind of the, it's almost like a painting that has like one stroke of red and you, and you look at it and you love the fact that there's just that one stroke of red where everything else is in a different palette. But you think, what if the person put the one stroke of red and then suddenly was like, oh no, I need the rule of threes. I've got to put two other strokes of red in here or I have to bring some red to the other side. And it's like, no, it is the fact that it is an outlier. It is the fact that it stands alone in the painting that makes it so interesting. And I think the same is going to be true for the house, which is you're going to walk into the house. It's going to feel like a Victorian it has the original pocket doors it has the original fireplace like it has all those things and yet when you come into what will essentially become like a really big kitchen with an eat-in you know and no dining room however you want to think of that like it'll just feel like a moment within this house that's lovely instead of having completely transformed the character of the house. I think we talked about the fact that the dining room actually was a middle-class affectation that came in, uh, let's say, early in the 20th century. But actually, you don't, we, the way we live, you and me, we don't really use the dining room except on a few occasions. So then it becomes just sort of a pass-through room. Well, this has also come back to the idea that we've talked about a lot about building a house for how you actually live, not the fantasy of how you live. And so it's like, I was like, oh, I want to have these fabulous dinner parties. So I need like a formal dining room and I want to have blah, blah. But it was like, Julie, you know, you're a grown ass lady and you live in a house now. How often do you have fancy dinner parties? And I was like, I probably have people over for dinner once a month, if that. Do you know what I mean? Should I have a room for an entire room dedicated to once a month? That seems crazy, right? It's like it's like the way I feel about people who spend a lot of time and money with a completely dedicated guest room. And like bully on you if you have a 6,000 square foot house and you can like have that room dedicated to it. But that also seems insane. Like how often are guests coming that they need to have their own room when you could live in there and so the same thing was true here where I finally was like you can still have people over it's just you know it's not some sort of fantasy of little lady you know dinner parties and then the staff is coming in to serve it well tell tell people about the rabbit hole you fell down on the internet when you searched I hate my open concept oh yeah so so mom you sent me an article or two that were that uh, was about the sort of the backlash that's coming against open concept homes people who live in open concept homes are unhappy about it you know so then I started to freak out once again I would say every day I have a small mental breakdown um, but just one, and it's usually pretty small. Uh, <laughs> poor Steve. Um, but so I definitely freaked out, and so I decided the best thing on earth is like when you think you have a disease that you looked up online, and so you Google like you know how do you know you have cancer, and then it's like every symptom is your symptoms. But anyway, so I started to Google. Uh, I hate my open concept home. Just because I wanted to know, like, what were people saying? What were the complaints? And I read article after article, blog post after blog post of people talking about what they liked and didn't like. And overall, 
what I felt after reading it was actually sort of more comfortable and happier because we live right now in a little townhouse uh, apartment that has basically the first floor is one big room. And so it is more open concept than the house is going to be you know, when it's done. And I was like, I am often annoyed by the fact that like Steve is watching TV and I'm trying to cook something in the kitchen or he has friends over to play a game and I need to get dinner and I just can't go in the kitchen. Do you know what I mean? Because they're playing a game and I feel awkward. Not that they would care, but like I feel awkward about making dinner while they're playing, right? And I was like, so the good news is you know, in the new house, we will have that separate living room. We will have the separate, you know, bathroom, mudroom. We will have, so it's not like it's all just one space. And I was like, if we can survive here like this, then I'm sure in a less open concept space will be a hundred percent fine. And I, you know, this actually makes me think a little bit about, um, okay, follow me here. A lot of times you will show your art to someone and they will have an opinion about it. It's just natural. I mean, if somebody shows me their art, I have an opinion about it. And you start to wonder if you should weigh their opinion, you know, over yours or as much as yours, or maybe even several people have the same opinion which conflicts with yours. But, you know, in the end, like, it's your painting with your name on it, and you really have to decide how you feel about it. And I think the house is the same way, which is lots of people have an opinion about how people are supposed to live or what the best, most functional way of living is. But in the end, like, it has to work for you. You're the one who lives in the house. You're the one who every day has to deal with it. And everyone, you know, has a different lifestyle, different relationship with their family, different, you know, members of their family. And so I am, I am reminded that sort of in every way, in so many aspects of life, it is deeply important to be confident in your own choices. It doesn't mean that you don't listen to other people, but I think it's important to sort of trust yourself. I actually, so I listened to a fantastic podcast this morning um, where this marketing guy was talking about how some people freak out when people give them negative feedback. He calls them haters, you know the the people giving the negative feedback yeah that people are haters like what happens when someone just like comments endlessly you know mean things to you and stuff like that and he said you know uh so he gave an example and he said usually most of the time he said haters are people who have a legitimate complaint but are blowing it up to ridiculous proportions so the example he gave is he had a typo and had misspelled a word in one of his books And he met this person at a book signing who was like screaming in his face about the typo and how irresponsible and ridiculous it was, right? And of course, your your impulse is to get defensive because this person is blowing up something small into something enormous. But he was like, but is it a valid complaint? Yeah. And what does this person want from me? I don't know. But he said, I just apologize. I said, yes, we did that. And it was a mistake and we should have caught it. And I'm sorry. You know, and so a lot of times when people are upset about something, maybe look at what they're upset about and think like they may not have handled it well. They may not have said it in the right way. They may be blowing it way out of proportion. But like, is it based on something legitimate that can actually be something you can listen to? And so I think the same thing is true when people offer like advice or criticism about your house. Like this one woman was talking 
about her open concept house and saying like she had to duck down like somebody shot a bullet behind her counter anytime she wanted to eat a cookie so that her toddler couldn't see it and then the toddler would want a cookie and you know just saying like how unhappy the house was making her and blah 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 and like she does have a legitimate thing which is that you know she's never has a safe space from her toddler she never has a place to hide you know and all that kind of stuff um but like that's a little overly dramatic in some ways it feels like to me of course I don't have children so maybe it really is like that um but there are additional things one could say like is the problem that it's an open space or is the problem that she's doing things and she doesn't that she doesn't want her toddler to do well, yes, and I was also like, it was. And, I was also a little bit like, just because mommy has a cookie doesn't actually mean you get a cookie. It's like, just because mommy wears makeup, you know, doesn't mean you wear makeup. I mean, I don't know, and I don't want to judge anybody's parenting, but, you know, there were, I, and I often hear about parents hiding from their children in the bathroom or whatever, and I'm sure someday I will encounter whatever disastrous, upsetting moment leads you to that. Um, but, you know, I, I think, again, like, like with art, like with life, like with so many things, you have to make the decisions that are right for you and not what's cool, what's trendy, you know, any of that kind of stuff, but the things that are like going to work for you. There's a lot of joy in doing this house for you though. I mean, usually when you call me after you've been to the house, I hear the smile in your voice. There's a tickle in my voice. Yes. I usually, I usually am because I'm, because the thing that happens is every day something happens at the house that makes it feel more real. Every day. I mean, I this sounds insane, You're but it's all kind of house. a fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, because the thing is because everything came out and there were no floors and there were no walls and there was da-da-da. It's like every time something goes up and into the house and I can see the shape of it, it feels like it's closer and closer to this thing and every time that something I drew on a piece of paper that was a square with a dent in it becomes a 3D nine foot wall you know it's like oh my gosh oh my gosh I can't believe this actually happened like this is real like this is the moment I'm standing inside the shower that I drew on a piece of paper which was a you know a one inch square and now it's this big shower you know I mean I think those moments are like they're just unbelievable. They're so gratifying. I sort of imagine it's like when you uh, make a some sort of like deal or something and it's just been talking in a boardroom and then all of a sudden all of the consequences of the deal start coming. Like the company changes and the leadership changes and the building moves and da 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 da. It's like all of a sudden you realize that what happened in that conference room was actually like this huge thing. So it's like this stupid sketch that I drew is this real thing that I'm going to live with every single day. I actually, like a like a little child, stood in the master bathroom shower today and said out loud, I might add, this is going to be where I shower for the rest of my life. Wow. I know. What crazy person does that? You know, the other th another thing which is somewhat like art is – you're discovering that a house can is very plastic that and you can change things and if if you know how you're always saying if you do something let's say on your canvas and you don't like it change find it. a way to turn yeah change it turn find a way to turn that into something 
positive. In other words, solving that problem. And it happens with the planning of the house, too. Yeah, it's sort of amazing to me how often, you know, I say like, oh, I wish that window were a little further this way. And my contractor's like, no problem. You know, or, oh, you know, I wish this room had a bigger closet. Okay. You know, it's like all these things can happen. And the same thing is true. Like when you look at your artwork and you say, I wish this, I wish that, you know, you just, you can make it happen. You just have to figure out how. Well, and you know how you're always saying you have to be able to say, you have to be able to articulate what you do and don't like about your artwork. The same with this our uh building actually you this have is to even... be able you have to be able to say what it is you do and don't like about what you've got there so that you can understand the problem and solve it yes and it's even more important i think with the the house project because i have to be able to articulate to the person who's physically doing the building what the problem is what i do or don't like what i'm concerned about you know yeah so that he can fix, adjust, et cetera, help me. If I can't communicate that to him, we have a major, major problem. And I think that I am a huge advocate, always have been. I've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast, and I will talk about it again, which is I think that the best thing that you can do for yourself as an artist is learn to talk about your work without a lot of fluffy pardon my French, bullshit, without being like, you know, this is the meaning of the dove upon the wings and the way that the air swishes under, you know, but what are you actually trying to do? I'm trying to create something that makes you feel, you know, happy, or I'm trying to create some movement in this corner, or I want to, you know, I think the angles make me uncomfortable in this. Like, if you can speak in concrete things, then you will be able to improve your work, You'll be able to understand why certain artwork appeals to you so that you can go towards that. You'll be able to, you know, uh, help people to understand what it, kind of feedback it is you're looking for from them. You'll be able to do all those things, but you have to be able to articulate. Speech well, over. So, <laughs> when, when you... Have you so far learned anything that you would do differently? I know it's early days yet, but is have you found anything that you would have done differently had you known, had you been experienced, or has it all pretty much so far unfolded the way you wanted it to? I mean, there's silly stuff. Like, I would have saved all the my money that I ever wasted on stupid shit in my entire 20s and 30s. So that I, you know what I mean? So that I would have a huge amount of money to spend to get every bell and whistle that I want right now. I mean, in the end, like, that's what I've come up against most often is, um, it's the conflict you talk about all the time about the things that I want versus the things that I sort of intellectually understand I should take. It's like, you don't need the $170 square foot tile no matter how beautiful it is you're fine with the seven dollar a square foot tile like it's fine you know and I think that I think that you know that is sort of just a good I mean it's a good lesson in life of course but but for the most part I feel very spoiled because I don't think I understood the scope of this project when I started it I feel like a person who decided to go on a walk and found myself 
20,000 miles from home and suddenly can't figure out how I managed to get that far. Do you know what I mean? So I feel really lucky to have so many great people. My contractor, my friend Jen, who's been helping with the plans, you know, you, Steve, like I just feel really lucky to have a good team around me. I think it would have been nice to sort of understand the scope (laughs) at the beginning because I think that would have eliminated some stress and shock, you know, um, you know, but we'll the, see. Um, those shows on HGTV and DIY and all that stuff, they do you a disservice in some ways because A, everything happens very fast. B, they don't really give you a sense of how much things cost. Yeah. Um, and it, I will say it's a little bit like if you watched a lawyer show and you like Ally McBeal or something and you expect like life as a lawyer to be about every day you're in court and wearing a cute outfit and everybody's good looking you know the shock of waking up to discover that being a lawyer is 90% paperwork do you know what I mean would surprise you and in the end even though HGTV and everything is a reality show it's still TV so they Mm -hmm. only show you the best most fun parts the you know cool interesting parts the and all that kind of stuff so it's completely you know, unrealistic, but it's the same thing as like, um, I mean, being an artist is hard. Making a living as an artist is hard. Doing all of, you know, putting your work out there is hard, but we think it's so easy. Yeah. It was about wearing a French beret and a turtleneck. (laughs) Yeah. Smoking cigarettes and, you know, doing all that stuff. I mean, I think that it's, it's kind of the thing that Lady Gaga said when she accepted her Oscar this year where she said it's work this is hard work and I think the toilet it's the same thing as like I mean and again this is all I don't know this for a fact just from talking to my friends like parenting when you see for two seconds the kid twirling happily with the mom holding it in the beautiful sunlit room and you know blah 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 it's like okay that was a moment but there's also like the tantrum, the crying, the bedtime, the climbing, the throwing up, the this, the that. You know what I mean? Parenting is work. So art is work. Making a career is work. All of it is work. And I think people, you know, doing renovating a house is work. Like there are so many things in life that are work. It's what's that old quote? Uh, most people miss opportunity because it comes disguised in overalls uh, and looks like work. That's a good quote. It is because it's true. I I think like there's something about finding that balance between I don't think you need to be hustling 24-7 because I think you burn out and that's exhausting. And I've tried to be very careful, especially in the last like, you know, four or five years where I've become the breadwinner um, to not burn out as much as I can. But I think you do have to understand that what you do is hard work and when you're working feels like work and it should and that's fine hmm. well it's the same way that i would say like those guys at my house those crew guys they work their butts off you know so they're gone by three or four most days and like you know i'm like fantastic that means they're not going to totally burn out 
because that is physical hard labor. I never go there and see anybody standing around. They are carrying, they are working, they are, I mean, I so admire them. They are, they work hard every single day and really, it feels to me like they give it their all every day, which is amazing. It is amazing. And I must say, every time you go over there and they're gone, the house is neat as a pin. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a construction site that every single day they sweep up, they clean up, they, I mean, they're, they're, again, this goes back to, I'm so lucky my contractor's fantastic. In an empty house that no one lives in, they clean it every single day. I will say, because of your contractor, Rob, this is going to end up being a really positive experience. I would hate to be my own contractor. I think it would take all the joy out of it. Yeah, people who are the weekend warriors, I like applaud you because, woo, that, I mean, but, you know, I will say, like, I, I think, I think that everybody has a thing that they enjoy. If you're a person who enjoys that kind of stuff, then that's fantastic. But if you're a person who doesn't, like, I just think it makes it hideous. It's the same as, you know, I've actually run into students and stuff who feel that they ought to do art, but they don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I've always been like, then don't. Like, you shouldn't be doing, you should do as few things in your life that you hate, unless they're like making you money or giving you sanity or like doing an enormous surface for someone else, which then in turn gives you joy. Like, stop doing things that you hate for no reason because you feel like you ought to. Hey, you sound like you're breaking out of jail. I am. I am. Still, I'm old you, now. You I still have to take care of me. It's true. So that's the thing I ought to do. Exactly. Is take care of you. And so I guess I will. For now. <laughs> anyway, it's probably time for us to wrap up. I could talk about my house all day and every day, and as you may fact, have noticed. Let's face it. You do now. It's I become do. completely obsessed. I am. I'm like I'm like a person with a new baby, and all I want to do is show you pictures of my baby and talk about my baby and tell you how cute my baby is and make you understand about my baby and tell you how my baby threw up last night and I'm taking care of my baby, except my baby's just a big giant house. I can't wait for this to be over, but I want to remind myself. It's just like you t- you say, you know, process in art is part of the experience, maybe even the most important part for you is the process. And I think try and relax and enjoy this process of the house becoming itself, whatever it's going to be. I think the process is important because it's allowing me to really feel like, I mean, I'm picking where the light switches go. I'm picking where every single outlet is. I'm picking, you know, I mean, we are micromanaging this house into existence. So every time I hate where the switch is or I'm annoyed there isn't an outlet, there will only be one person in the world for me to be mad at. The finger of blame. The finger of blame. I will point at myself. I will say this, which is if somebody buys the house from me in the future and paints the woodwork in the house that I have, I I will murder them. You have to let it go and move on. No, murder. I will murder them. It is one of my ultimate pet peeves in houses, people who paint woodwork. And if you're out there and you're a person who's painted woodwork, there is a special, you know, circle of hell that is reserved for you. It is impossible to strip the paint off wood once you have done it. It completely ruins the character of all of these old houses. And it's like, buy a new house then. 
don't live in an old house. I don't know. It just drives me crazy. And I know we looked at so many houses and I've been trying to restore this old house and like, don't paint your wood. You know, I bought a couple of paintings from my friend, you know, Pete Rogers. Yeah. And who, who just died this year. And one of the things that used to drive him nuts was he didn't like the way I was lighting his work that I had purchased. And it's not dissimilar, you know. It's it's his creation. He wants it to be seen a certain way. And I understand that he didn't feel my lighting choices were adequate. Well, you know, there are contemporary artists nowadays who have, when you buy a work from them, they decide what wall it gets put on, where it's put, the lighting for it, and you're not allowed to move it. You're not allowed to sell it. You're not allowed to da-da-da-da. I mean, which also seems crazy to me because I sort of feel like once you buy artwork... You, you bought the artwork. Yeah, but that has changed now. There it are some has. people who you can't sell it. You have to donate it to a museum if you want to deaccession it from your collection. I know Chihuly with the glass. Mm-hmm. His people have to come. They have to install it. You can't move it, etc. There's a lot of stuff out there that, to me, makes art feel like hyper precious and ridiculous. And I understand that some of it is based on artists wanting to protect themselves, that people can't profit off of them becoming more famous, da 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 da, da and all this stuff. But I think it does a disservice overall, personal opinion. But you know, who knows? So should I should I be so lucky to be in that position one day, eh? Should I be so lucky as to ever have a piece of Julie Balzer art? Maybe then you can. There, you um, have a you have a piece hanging a, in your kitchen. It's a little quilt. A very little quilt. Yes. Cute. You don't, you don't need anything bigger. Anyway, we're completely off topic. Anything else you'd like to add? <laughs> no. But there'll okay. be. I'm sure there'll be further installments. Oh. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at another six months before this house is ready, so I'm sure it's part of my life, part of my everyday life. Um, So in the meantime, if you'd like to see pictures of the house, you can certainly see them on my blog or on my Instagram, and uh, I will keep posting them, so stay tuned. And as always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typad.com. Do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, does anybody still tweet? Use that hashtag, ArtingPodcast. <laughs> and if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on iTunes. That helps other people find the show. So thank you so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting Podcast.